morning. Is anyone hot in here? I feel like it's like warm, right? It's like, praise God that summer is still extending a little bit. Um, all right, so this morning, I want to start off with a story. Uh, so back when I was a young Christian, um, I was going through this period where I was struggling deeply. It was a dark time. I was struggling with depression. And I was a young Christian, right? So I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And my friend used to send me MP3s. Who remembers MP3s? MP3s of like contemporary Christian music. And there was this one song called If You Want Me To by this woman named Ginny Owens. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of her. But it was a song about trusting God through hard times. And I would listen to that a lot and, and it encouraged me so much when I was, when I was so young. So let's fast forward like two decades. Uh, I started taking a, a preaching class for fun. Uh, it turns out homework isn't fun, but <laughs> I'm taking a preaching class, and lo and behold, who's in my class? But none other than Ginny Owens herself. And I was like really excited. I, I was telling someone like I was fangirling a little bit. It was a little embarrassing. Um, but she still makes music. She still makes music. I was stalking her online. Um, and her ministry has continued in that same theme. Like, it's all about helping people who are struggling to follow God, people in, in dark valleys, um, and how God has been so good. So it, it was actually surprising to me. I had actually forgotten this. But when I met her, I forgot that Ginny Owens is blind. She's been blind since she was three years old. And when I met her in person, I was, it was almost like shocking, like she had a stick. She's not old. She's, she's like my age. She had a stick. I helped her to the classroom. I helped her into her Uber when the class was over. And then it all kind of made sense in context. Her whole ministry, all of her songs about going through all these things with God, they're all from her own personal experience going through life blind, not being able to see physically, but being able to see spiritually. So today we're going to read a, a passage about where another person's disability gets put out there, gets put on display, takes center stage, and we're going to see how Jesus magnifies and amplifies that to impact many people. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the sun we thank you for your son. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear from you today. Father, we pray that your words would speak loud and clear, that we would be convicted to follow you, but to also know you and love you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 17. <clears throat> it should be on your service sheets, I guess that's what we call it. We have been diving deep into Luke's gospel, as Justin mentioned, and Luke's record of Jesus's ministry. So that's Luke chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to be reading from the NLT. That's the New Living Translation, but those of you at home, those of you with physical Bibles, follow along with whatever translation works for you. So Luke 5, 17. <clears throat> One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. 
and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Praise God for his word. What a story, right? What a scene. Last week, Pastor Johnny spoke to us about a man who had leprosy and how Jesus reached out and touched him and made him clean. So after that incident, it says in the last uh, week's passage that Jesus' fame grew. It grew so much, people started traveling from all over the place to hear him teach, and sick people People who had diseases and conditions were all traveling because they heard, hey, this rabbi, this teacher can heal. So it's interesting. So this, this passage talks about how this man who's paralyzed makes his way to Jesus. Now, Luke doesn't tell us the nature of his condition. We don't know why he's paralyzed. Maybe he's been paralyzed since birth. Maybe he was born that way. Maybe he had an accident. Maybe he has some kind of illness that causes him to be paralyzed. We don't know. All we know is that he can't move. And what Luke chooses to tell us is not, not about how, why, why this is true. He tells us how this man comes before Jesus. So as typical, there's a huge crowd sitting. All these people have traveled to hear Jesus speak. And they're in a home. And then some men show up in the gospel of, uh, which one is it? Mark. Mark gives us a detail Luke does, and it was four men. So there's four men carrying this one paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, um, but they couldn't get into Jesus. There were too many people. So it says that uh, they climbed up on the roof and they made a hole. Luke said they removed some tiles. It was probably a little bit more substantial than that. They They destroyed the roof, um, and they lowered their friend down right in front of Jesus. So this is kind of crazy. This is kind of like, you know, the people who don't want to pay for concerts, so they, like, sneak around the back. They got their wire cutters, and they're, like, cutting a hole in the fence, and they're, like, sneaking in. So these men are essentially doing that. They're cutting the line. All these people have come to see Jesus, to be healed by Jesus, and here they are, Uh, damaging property because they want to get their friend in. They want to get their friend in. So first, I want to give you some context. 
when we think of houses, this isn't uh, a house like, you know, with slanted roofs, you know, the ones that kids draw. Uh, Palestinian homes normally had flat roofs, and they always had a ladder on an external wall on the side. And people would go up there to, like, dry their laundry, to chill, to eat, to pray. Uh, it's kind of more like, like a rooftop in Williamsburg, where people just go up there and Less weed, but <laughs> this, is a, this is a type of home that they're breaking into. So it's not weird. It's not strange that they're going up on the roof. People chill up on the roof. What's strange is that they, they break in. They break in. They remove tiles to, to bring their friend down. So it's this crazy act of love, this crazy act of love. And this should bring us to this glaring truth that we need people like this in our lives. We need the church. And by the church, I don't mean we need to show up here every Sunday, sit in the chairs and you know, be on our way, check off that we made it to church today. I mean, we need the people of God in our lives. We need deep relationships with other Christians who know Jesus. So that when we are in crisis, especially when we're in crisis, when we are paralyzed, we can't go to him ourselves, that we have friends that will literally break down tiles, break down roofs so that we will know Christ, so that we can go to the one who heals us. And that's, that's hard because a lot of us have private faiths. You know what I mean by that? Like, it's, it's us, it's our relationship with God. You know, we don't share it with our husbands. We don't share it with our family. We don't share it with anybody. We go to church and we learn for ourselves. But that's not the way God designed us to be. See, in the wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, which coincidentally we're reading for our church-wide Bible reading plan, um, it says that two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. See, there's, there's practical wisdom in this. There's this practical understanding that life is easier when you have someone to go through it with, right? We all know that. That's like a big reason why people get married. Because you got someone to share the bills with. But then... <laughs> It's true. It's so true. You know how hard it is? You got to buy a loaf of bread and get through it as a single person? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, but we get married because it's easier to go through life with someone. And yet we don't think that in our spiritual lives, we also need these relationships. We need these relationships. So think, think about it like this. Think about like a bad friend. A bad friend would be like, oh, you need to go to the hospital? Sure, I'll take you to the bus stop. It'll drop you off right in front, right? That's kind of a bad friend. A good friend would be like, oh, you need to go to the hospital? Yeah, I'll drive you right there. I'll drop you off. Give me a call. I'll pick you up when you're done. That's a good friend, right? Thanks for taking me. A really good friend would be like, yo, you got to go to the hospital right now. You've been neglecting that thing. You got to go right now. I'm taking you to the ER. I'm getting you a wheelchair. I'm wheeling you straight in. You guys see the difference? 
You guys see the difference? And we need these people in our spiritual lives where they're like, yo, you are paralyzed. You are crippled spiritually. We have to pray. We have to pray. Call me tonight. Call me now. Call me when you're free. We're going to go to Christ. We're going to go to Jesus. Now, there's a lot of people, we, we think we got community. We got community, but they're, you know, they're not believers. So we got like our homies from the hood. We got our friends we grew up with. Those are the people that have seen us at our best and at our worst. And I have no doubt, no doubt that they would be there for us if we needed them. No doubt they would bail us out of jail. They would be there if we got dumped. But they don't know Jesus. But they don't know Christ. They're not going to be able to minister to us. So like these four friends... They could have been take, they could have loved their friend so much and been taking him to the witch doctor after witch doctor in the village, every false prophet in the town looking for healing, and none of them would be able to heal them. We need people in our lives who know us, love us, but also know Jesus. And I know this is hard for many of us sitting here because I see it in the church. There's an epidemic of loneliness. Pastor Justin talks about all, this all the time. There's an epidemic of loneliness in our country. And it's in the church as well. It's in the church as well. We come here and we say all these theological things about being a spiritual family. And then we leave having no relationship with the brother or sister sitting next to us in these chairs. And that's not what God called us to be. We need to be in deep friendship, deep relationship with people who know Jesus. It was actually the faith of these men that actually compelled Jesus to do something. See, Jesus doesn't get angry. He doesn't feel disrespected. He's in the middle of his teaching right now. And these people with their shenanigans are coming down from the sky like, like, you know, a few passages back, Pastor Justin preached on it. You know, there was a, he was teaching in a synagogue and there was a man with a demon who interrupted him. Jesus cast that demon right out. But he doesn't feel disrespected here. He doesn't feel disrespected. He's actually impressed. He's like looking up. <laughs> Can you imagine the scene? Everyone's like, he's teaching. I could be teaching. Someone's opening a, a hole right up there. He doesn't feel disrespected. He's actually impressed by their faith. He's impressed by the faith of these four men and, and the man lying on, this, on the mat. Like this group of people really, really believe that Jesus can heal. They really believe that. So Jesus looks right at that man and as everyone expects, he says, young man, be healed. No, that's not what happens. He doesn't heal him right then. He doesn't. He actually says, uh, Young man, your sins are forgiven. It's like, what? <laughs> if we're reading this, if you're sitting in the crowd, everyone's like, what? Like, it's, like, he's not, Jesus, he's not here for that. <laughs> Jesus, it's obvious, you know, the guy can't walk. He's on a mat. He needs to walk. He needs to have a full life. He came so that you could heal him. Why are you talking about his sins? Why are you speaking blasphemy. Why are you talking like you're God? See, everyone expected Jesus to heal him physically. And often when we go to God in our prayers, we have specific requests, right? 
And a lot of times our requests are something physical. God, I'm sick. I'm, I'm ill. Can you please heal me? God, I'm having trouble at work. My boss has been on my back. Can you help me with the situation? God, my finances are kind of short this, this month. Can you help me out? See, we think of these physical things and we bring them to Jesus. But the truth is that Jesus is not only interested in our physical situation, but also our spiritual condition. See, God's not only interested in these external struggles that we see and we think this is the biggest deal ever, but Jesus is interested in what's going on internally. What's going on internally? Jesus, our God, is a holistic God. A holistic God. What does that mean? I mean, let's say... uh, Let's say you go to the doctor and you're like, Doc, I, I think I sprained my ankle. I was playing basketball. I tripped over someone. Can you take a look at my ankle? So the doctor, of course, he's going to look at your ankle, right? But a good doctor will also be like, hey, I see you've been coughing a lot. Hey, I see there's a cut on your arm and you didn't get it taken care of, so now it's infected. See, a good doctor will heal you not only in what you think you need, but in your whole self and everything that you don't realize. So it's a shock for us, for Jesus's out of nowhere statement, but it actually makes perfect sense. God cares about us wholly. So we need to know this and go to him, not only because we got COVID, not only because of things that we think we need for him to provide for us. God, I need a home. I need a promotion. But we need to go to Jesus and say, God, I've been sinning against you. My mind has been consumed by lust. God, I need you. I've been murdering people in my heart. I've been hating everyone at work and I've been committing murder. Help heal me. God, I... I, been setting relationships on fire with my tongue. I've been loose with my tongue and I've hurt a lot of people. Heal me. See, Jesus heals us in all the ways that we cannot heal ourselves. And I'm going to be straight with you, church. I'm going to be honest with you. That man, this paralyzed man that we we just read about, you know, he might not be able to move and, and Jesus does heal him by the end of the passage. He's jumping up, he's praising God, he's going home, like his life is changed. But I'm going to be straight with you. He's going to die. The man's going to die. This is a snippet of his life story, this small little moment, life-changing moment. But he's going to die. And we're going to die. And our friends are going to die and our family is going to die and everyone we know and love is going to die. We need to pray not only that Jesus would heal our our friend from cancer, but that they would know Christ, that they would know the healer and have salvation for eternity. We need to pray for our family, for our friends, not only that God would help them in whatever situation they're in, but that God would keep them safe for all eternity. And that goes true for us too. We need to pray 
that God, give me assurance that I am yours. Give me assurance that I am walking with you, that I am safe with you. We need to think about these things that we don't see and know that there are things that are temporary and things that are eternal. See, there's two problems in this passage. Everyone sitting in the crowd, people reading this, we think there's just one, this paralyzed man, right? There's a problem. And Jesus sees not only his disability, but his spiritual handicap. And in fact, this man isn't the only man that he heals. See, because what Jesus does here, he does in the presence of many, many people. And this is actually the first time in the book of Luke that we meet the people called the Pharisees. The Pharisees. So context, the Pharisees were a religious group. They weren't a political group. They didn't really care about politics. Uh, the Pharisaic movement, they actually started 200 years before Jesus came on the scene. So two, 200 years before Jesus was here, there was a group of Jews who were really upset. Their biggest feature was that they didn't want the Jewish life to be mixed in with Greco-Roman ideals. So in essence, they, they didn't want the religion to be watered down by culture, right? So this is, this is an honorable, honorable thing. It's kind of like, I guess they're kind of similar to like fundamentalist Christians today, uh, the ones who are like all about the Bible. So the Pharisees were all about the Torah. So the Torah is God's law that he gave to Moses. That's what the Jews follow. Uh, it includes the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments we struggle to read. All of that is the law of Moses. The Pharisees were all about keeping the law, bringing the Jews back to God. We have to follow what God said. Don't get mixed up with all this other nonsense. Follow God. Follow the Torah. The Pharisees, there weren't that many of them, but they had a huge influence on the Jews. So because of their passion for following the Jewish law, the moment Jesus says, young man, your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees heard the second commandment. They heard, blasphemy, blasphemy. How dare he? How dare he? In the NLT, it translates his word, their thoughts, translates their thoughts as who does he think he is? So this is kind of like, let's say your friends with, your best friend is the CEO of a small company that he founded. And he hooked you up with a job. You're really grateful. You're really thankful. He hooked you up. You go to work. And you're with all these other, like, you know, entry-level workers. And, and then one day you hear one of them tell someone else. And he's like, hey, man, just forget about the work. You don't need to do it. Take the next week off. And you're sitting there like, excuse you? <laughs> excuse you? Like, you're not the boss here. You, you feel angry. You're offended for your friend. You know, this is your friend's company. Who do these people think they are? And the Pharisees and the religious uh, teachers of the law, they're feeling the same way. They're like angry. Like, who, what is this arrogance? Who does this guy think he is? Who does this guy think he is? Um, 
But Jesus, performing the miracle of mind reading, <laughs> sees, hears their thoughts, and he calls them out. He calls them out for their thoughts, and, and then he shows them up. <laughs> he says, like, so you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, and he completes his healing of the paralyzed man. He completes, he tells us, stand up, get up, pick up your mat, walk, go home. And everyone's like falling down now. Everyone's falling down. They're amazed. They're amazed because Jesus just proved that he had power beyond what anyone thought he could do. Our struggles, when they're lived out in faithful community, will serve to bear witness to God. See, when we're willing to be vulnerable, when we're willing to be honest and exposed in our need for Christ and honest about the goodness that God has had for us, people will come to know Jesus, the real Jesus, the real God. You know, it's unfortunate because the loudest narrative of Christians and God today is, you know, the God who hates the God who hates, that's, that's what people see, and, and a lot of times that's what we show. You know, in the, in the Life Maps group, I've been part of this Life Maps group that the women's ministry has been running. We've been sharing our life stories. And it's so interesting because so many times we think that the Christian next to us has this, like, picture-perfect life. Right? You guys feel me on that? You know, we think that, oh, they probably grew up Christian. They knew everything. They know. <laughs> Jonathan. I paid him too. I paid him too. <laughs> we think that they know everything about the Bible. They're quoting stuff we never heard of. They're bringing up people. We can't even pronounce their names. We think that they got these, like, goody-goody, pristine lives. And we found out in Life Maps that's just not true. That's not true. Life has been messy. Life is messy. But we don't always show it because we're trying to fit in, trying to fit in with this like little pretty church. But this man, his vulnerability is exposed. Everyone sees him. This poor guy can't even walk to Jesus himself. He's out there and now he's praising God. In the Gospel of John, there's a woman from Samaria who Jesus converses with. She's like going to get water at a well in the middle of the day. She's all by herself. And she doesn't want to listen to Jesus at first. And then he brings up her, her sexual history, and all of a sudden she starts listening. But what it says at the end of that story is that many people in her town believed because of the woman's testimony. She went back and said, this guy, this teacher, this rabbi told me everything about my life. And I guarantee you, people are going to be like, what do he say? What do he say? And she's going to be like, don't worry about that. You know, just, just go to him, right? She, she, she probably, no, she's not going to convince anyone. Be like, no, she, he told me stuff. I can't tell you, but he told me stuff, right? She, she's not going to be like that. No one's going to believe her. So, so she's being honest about her life and what Jesus revealed to her. The passage starts off, these religious leaders are coming from all over the place, right? Every village in Galilee, in Judea, Jerusalem. It's likely they were sent to check out this guy. You know, they're coming kind of like uh, they were sent to be like, yo, check out this, this teacher. He's been causing a stir. They're coming to hear. So there's people coming because they're curious. 
There's people coming because they think they know, but they don't know what they don't know. There's people coming because they're sick. There's people who need healing. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. What that means is that there are multitudes of people waiting to know who God is, and yet we keep him to ourselves. There's so many people sitting there in the crowd, and yet we're not sharing. We, we, that's why, that's, that's the problem. That's why we look like picture-perfect Christians. Why is, why is that even true? It's because of us. It's because of us. This man, and we're going to see many more people, are healed and go and tell others what Jesus has done. Church, we need each other. We need each other to support each other, to carry each other to Jesus, to pray for each other, to correct each other. And we can't do that unless we pursue deep relationships with other Christians. We need that in our lives. We need that. We need to recognize that our struggles are deeper than flesh and bone. It goes deep inside the heart. Jesus cares for us, our physical condition, but also our spiritual condition. Where are we with Christ? Where are we? And we have to be honest about our experience, honest about our testimony, both in the church to encourage all of us. Look, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're all messed up, and we're here by the grace of God. We need to encourage the church, but we also need to give our testimony to those outside the church so that people can see, hey, you don't have to climb a hill. You don't have to get to this point to be Christian. I became Christian when I was down here. This is where Jesus met me, down here. I was worse than you when Jesus came to me. Worse than you. We need to be honest. We need to be truthful. We need to bring praises to God and glory to God. See, Jesus healed this man, but he healed so many more people in the crowd that day. So let's believe this and let's live it. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have given us this body. We thank you that you have given us this place that we might gather and worship you and glorify you. But Father, we ask that you would bring us deep into relationship with each other and deeper into relationship with you. Father, we ask that you would unite us, that you would not be content to leave us walking with you alone, but that we might see our need for the people, for the brothers and sisters that you have brought Father, we pray that you would help us to seek your forgiveness for our spiritual lives and encouragement for our spiritual walks, not just those externally that we see. And Father, we pray that you would give us the words to share, that we might not be ashamed, but that we would be open about your goodness in our lives, that we might be open that we are now saved only because of you, not because of anything we've done or cleaned up in ourselves. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.